1: Get ready for comedy. Elmo's horny. Politics. The gay spin on the story was like, Queen Elizabeth fucking loves us. Pop culture. I'm not a sports fan. I don't follow this shit. Sexual harassment of celebrity guests. And you are always welcome in my apartment in New York City. And by my apartment, I mean my bed. (laughs) And poetry. Hotter than Vesuvius, more well endowed than the Mastodon. It's the Adam Sank Show. On Derek and Romaine 2.0. And for the next hour, you're in the ass. Hey, fuck yeah. And now,
2: the one, the only,
1: Adam Sank! Bottom. Yeah. Bottom. Yes, it's me, the bottom. It's Adam Sank for another episode of The Adam Sank Show, Sunday, May 6th, 2018. We are not live, we are taped, so if you're listening on adamsank.com slash podcast at 3 o'clock Eastern Time on May 6th, this is your first time hearing the episode, but again, it is not live, so don't call us. However... All episodes of The Ass become available on iTunes within 24 hours of their premiere. Please leave me your ratings and reviews on iTunes. I've gotten some lovely new reviews lately, and I appreciate every single one of them. So when you, when you leave those five stars and you write a review, you really help other people find the show. So keep that coming. Also, tell your friends. A lot of people out there are looking for good podcasts. So tell your friends. The Adam Sank Show is the best. Except, of course, for Derek and Romaine, who will always be the best. Uh, like the Facebook page. Donate to my AIDS Walk page at adamsank.com. Uh, guys, AIDS Walk is in three weeks, and I, I need to raise $20,000. I need your help. Every little bit helps, even 25 bucks. It's all tax-deductible. So please go to adamsank.com for the link to my AIDS Walk page. On today's show, we have the theater critic for Time Out New York, Adam Feldman, in the house to talk about this current Broadway season, uh, all of the hits and misses currently playing on Broadway, or in some cases already closed. Um, and uh, once again with me, I am thrilled to welcome to the ass, everyone's favorite trans sex worker, Jay.
0: Hey, thanks for having me back again. You
1: came back. Hey. Lovely to have you here. Thank you. As Thank you. always. to be here. Jay, I want to start today by talking about a topic. This is something I I wrote down months ago that I wanted to talk about on this show because it's very important to me. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. This is an
1: important topic in my life, Uh and I'm wondering if other people can relate to it. Um, There's something called prosopagnosia. Prosopagnosia, also known as facial blindness, whereby uh, someone cannot recognize other people's faces even people very close to them. They have to they have to uh, figure out who they're talking to based on the sound of their voice or the things that they say or just other cues, like how tall they are, if they're blonde, you know, things like that. I don't have actual pros- prosopagnosia, but I have, I think, a very mild form of it in that I have a very hard time recognizing people, particularly people who I don't know well. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I see you, or if I see JB or someone else that I see constantly, I'm not going to have any trouble recognizing you. But let's say I've met you like a couple times and then there's someone else who kind of looks like you. Like they're the same height. Maybe they have the same facial hair. I can't tell you apart from the other person. You do
0: this with a friend of mine at the gym. Which friend? Uh, uh, his name is John.
1: The uh, one with the wig? Yes. Well, him I recognize by his wig. Oh, do he's you? got a terrible wig.
0: Maybe you just don't say hi to him. Sometimes he tells me Adam saw me, but he he didn't. say I don't hi. want to say hi to him. Oh. <laughs> I, I find him very
1: freakish, and I don't remember his name. That is true. <laughs> but in but I'm talking about people that, because some people like Scott Hernandez and Ryan Frostegg will meet someone one time and never forget them yeah. ever. Yeah. And I'm very jealous of this, but I don't have this. And also, and I know this sounds like an asshole thing to say, I know a lot of people, and even more people know me. Yeah. You know, like there are thousands of people just on my Facebook page who know my name, my face, my personality. Maybe they've seen me uh, do stand up, or they uh, hear my show, or they just read all my Facebook posts, but I don't know who they are. Right. To me, they're just a name, and they're one name out of. 5,000 Facebook friends that I have right. so when I meet these people in person it's very awkward to me because they all go hey Adam and I go hey hon yeah <laughs> and I have no idea and sometimes if I talk to them for a while they'll, they'll say something and it'll click and I'll go oh I know who this is yeah this is this person but I have to have those cues so very recently it was actually let's uh let's see It was March. Okay. So like a month ago, I was doing the New York City gay men's chorus concert, our our big gay sing that we do every year in March. It's the biggest concert that we do. And, you know, I'm in the chorus and Ryan is in the chorus. And Ryan has this friend named Liz, who I have met once. Uh, We met at Ryan's birthday party. I actually liked her very much. She was fun to talk to and interesting. And we spent like an hour at his birthday party chatting. And whenever he mentions her, like he's like, oh, I'm going to have coffee with Liz today. I always say the same thing. I always go, she's just about the most interesting person I've ever met, which is a line from Will and Grace when Karen is Madonna's roommate Mm. and Madonna's name is Liz and Madonna like shows Karen how to open a Pepsi can and Karen (laughs) goes, Liz, I think you're just about the most interesting person (laughs) I've ever met. So I know her. But again, I only met her in person once. Yeah. And we're Facebook friends. So I do, and that, and I had met her like months before that at Ryan's birthday. I think his birthday's in May. So we do the concert and it's three hours of standing on stage and singing. It's exhausting. And it comes at the end of a really exhausting week because we have dress rehearsals every night and so forth. Mm -hmm. I was placed in the lobby uh, during the last song so that I could hold a basket and collect money from people as they left the theater all of which would go to uh my pocket no all of which would go to the new york city gay men's course so i'm standing out there and and the, the show hasn't ended yet because i go out there during the last song i leave the stage and this woman walks out of the bathroom comes up to me and goes hi and i go hello and she goes you don't remember me do you yikes don't ever say this to anyone. No. It's really cunty. Yeah. <laughs> you don't remember me. Do- well, let's break this down. No, clearly I don't. Yeah. And if I don't, why are you shaming me for yeah. that? just call you out. I, I If someone doesn't remember you, remember you it's not intentional, no. ever. It's not like they're trying to forget you. They just don't remember you. So I was like, tell me your name again. And she goes, Liz. And I, I still wasn't getting it. And she's like, I'm a friend of Ryan Frostig's. And I was like, yes, Liz, I've met you. You're Ryan's friend. We talked at his birthday. Like, it all came flooding yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, in. yeah, yeah, But her face means nothing to me. Yeah. So I don't know what my point is here other than to say <laughs> <laughs> some of us don't recognize you. Yeah. And- Don't hold it against us. We're trying our hardest. This has been a problem throughout my entire life. There are a lot of people out there who think I'm an asshole or that I'm stuck up or whatever because I see them and I don't say anything or they talk to me and I clearly don't remember them and then they get all pissed off and offended. And I'm telling you, that's not logical because if someone doesn't remember you, it, it, it's not their fault.
2: Right? I feel like when people get upset because you don't remember them, it's about their self worth, and they Absolutely. think exactly. really highly of themselves. For them, for you, for, for them to think that they matter in your life that highly, exactly. Like I feel like the people, like I, I forget people all the time, and like when people forget me. I'm just like, okay, that's fine. Like I'm not that important in your life. I don't expect to be important in your life. Right. So I don't expect you to remember me. If
1: someone doesn't remember me, I go, Adam Sank. We remember we met at such and such. I'll, I'll help. Yeah. I try to help. Right. Yeah. <laughs> help me. Don't shame me. Right. Um, and also, like JB said, if you're important to me, I will remember you. <laughs> you know? no, it would be
2: different if, if I forgot my best friend. Then the bitch would be like, bitch, you forgot me. Uh, right. Totally... But this is a
1: particular problem in the chorus because there's 270 guys and it, the group is always changing. Every season we lose like 40 members and 40 new members come in. Yeah. So I know most of the baritones by name because that's my section, but there are people in the tenor section or the bass section, who I have known for five years, but I don't really know them. Right. I just kind of know their face, and if they look like someone else in the chorus, I have no idea which one is which. Nor do I care. Right. Why do I have to learn two hundred and seventy names and then new names every? It is stupid to me. If we fuck, I'll remember your name.
0: Well, maybe. You, that you're one ahead of my partner because he can't even do that. <laughs> Stephen has this problem? Yeah, as a matter of fact, he was fucking a guy named Steve and he kept not remembering his name. And I was his like, own Steven, name. It's your name. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> That's funny. All right, well, moving on. I found this article on a website called fashionbeans.com. Don't ask me how I've never heard of fashionbeans.com. Um, but the name of the article was Nine Mistakes You're Making With Your iPhone. And since most of us have iPhones, I thought that this would be instructive. Uh, Number one, you're charging it wrong. iPhone batteries are designed so that you can't accidentally overcharge them. Like, you can leave them plugged in long after the 100% charge goes off, Mm -hmm. and they'll be fine. However, you're not supposed to charge your phone inside the case.
0: Oh, Christ alive.
1: Because it makes the phone overheat. Oh. And it could even be a fire hazard.
0: Great. Now that's another thing for me to worry about. I know.
1: I, there's no fucking way I'm taking it out of the case every, every night and putting it, it back. Yeah. Droid doesn't
2: have that problem, not at all. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you but I hate your, I hate that you have a droid because when I send you a message, I have no way of knowing whether you got it or not until you respond.
2: That's so. I think that's so creepy. That sometimes
1: takes days. Uh, number two, you are not checking the weather report. In other words, the iPhone is able to withstand a spectrum of temperatures, but it will not function normally uh, if it's uh, – well, let's see. If it's, It has to be basically between 32 and 95 degrees to function normally. If you leave your phone in the car on a winter day, for example, you should allow it to gradually come back to room temperature before you turn it back on. Also, you should keep it out of the sunlight for extended periods of time.
0: Yeah.
1: When phones are left on the dashboard of a car on a hot day or next to a window where a sunbeam is hitting it directly, uh, it can really fuck up the phone.
0: Yeah, I've, I've had my phone tell me that it's overheating because I've had it on the beach.
1: Yeah, it'll say, like, too hot. Yeah. Um, the third thing you're doing wrong is you're not cleaning your phone regularly. Your iPhone is filthy. Yeah. Some studies have shown that smartphones carry up to 10 times the bacteria of most toilet seats. Bacteria are everywhere. Uh, Try investing in a microfiber cleansing cloth or eye cloth cleansing wipes. They'll leave your screen looking great and they'll reduce the number of harmful pathogens on the surface of your device. Do not use standard cleaning products. Now, I do. I use Windex. Apple recommends avoiding solvents, abrasives, and aerosol sprays. You should never spray a cleaner directly onto your screen. Instead spray it onto a cloth and then gently wipe your phone, keeping moisture away from any of the device's openings. My OCD
0: friend Michael cleans my phone whenever I go over to his place.
1: (laughs) That's so nice. Yeah.
0: I want that. It's a little insulting.
1: (laughs) I feel like I clean mine fairly regularly, but I I definitely don't think about all the bacteria that I'm
0: I can't think about pressing against my face. I also
1: don't use my phone up against my face most of the time. Um let's see. Number four mistake is you're not ponying up the money for real chargers. You know, you can buy these kind of like discount iPhone chargers. Yeah. Um, they're much cheaper and they seem to work fine. However, uh, Apple says it's seen many customers with phones that were damaged by cheap cheap off-brand chargers. I think that could just be Apple wanting people to yeah, buy yeah, their it's chargers. Yeah, that's the Apple thing
2: because I buy off-the-count brand Android chargers and everything works fine. I'm
1: sure. But Apple says they're... Uh, Parts come with a warranty, so you're protected should the charger die or malfunction. The small difference in cost can ultimately save you a lot more in the future. Um, They say they've seen chargers explode due to poor manufacturing. So, And a lot of them just die. It's not that anything's going to happen to your phone. It's just the charger will die quickly. I have a phone charger at work at my day job that is literally like a bare metal wire. Like all the plastic, the white plastic has come off.
0: (laughs) It is so dangerous looking
1: and people are always like, what the fuck? (laughs) But I just keep forgetting because I have like three of them at home. I could replace it. I just keep forgetting. Um, Number five mistake is that you're constantly connected. Uh, Particularly if uh, you're using a website with Bluetooth, it drains the battery. Um, The best thing to do is to look at your battery in your iPhone settings and actually look at what percentage uh, each of these apps you're using has drained um, the battery. If an app seems to be draining an exorbitant amount of juice, you should close it by double-clicking on your home but- button and swiping up on the app. But don't close apps if you don't notice a problem because this practice can actually drain your battery. Since the apps won't be running in the background, your phone will need to work that much harder to reopen them. This seems like it's telling you two counterintuitive no, things this at the is, same time. No, this is
2: like basic stuff that you should know about your phone. Okay, so... I feel I have, I feel I always knew this about my droid. Like there are certain apps that you can't just have running, and it, like my phone tells me what what percentage apps are using these types of batteries. And it'll just tell me automatically. I don't have to go searching for this. It just sounds like Apple makes you guys search. You
1: really want people to buy. I droids. I don't
2: like Apple at all. Like when <laughs> when I when I was dating this man, he loved Apple. I was like, Apple just takes your money because I'm looking spend this money. Like we were outside hanging on the coat, and his phone just was wasn't working because it was 20 degrees outside, but my phone works fine.
1: JB for droid. (laughs) Well, uh, another thing you're doing wrong is you're not having enough fun with your iMessages. You should be having fun with the emojis and the gifs and the animated gifs. I think most of us are doing that if we want to. That sounds Um, like
2: a millennial thing. I don't think everyone's doing that.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, my parents aren't. Although my mother, I have to say, has really gotten into emojis
0: Does she she use them appropriately? No. No. Neither neither does my stepmother. She'll
1: type the word and then use the emoji. Yeah. So it'll be like, you know, um, your father and I are having food or having Chinese food. And then there'll be like a dish and a plate and a fork. And I'm like, we don't. I I know what food looks like. Yeah.
2: <laughs> My mom sends me winky face eggplants. and think it's okay. I'm like Bob. No, <laughs> does she God. know what that means? <laughs> I feel like she does, and she just does this purposely. I don't respond to her like you play too much. I'm not responding to you. Wow. I don't know what this means. She's like, I hope you. Have, I hope you're eating well. I hope you're eating well. Is what she says. This is that. That's the world you have. Me eating well. Winky face eggplant. Sure, I might just be sucking dick later on too.
1: I mean, those are two very different things. Do you really think she? Do you think she doesn't know that it's dick?
2: I, I, I just don't want to tell my mother because I, I cause my mom is not a very sexual person. Yeah. No. And when it comes to like, she's very open to talking about sex, but she's not sexual at all. So it was just like, I don't think I can have this conversation with her about these emojis and what they mean. I, I, I want my sisters to have that conversation with her because they'll, they get yeah, into it. Yeah, someone
1: needs to school her. Um, number seven is you're letting your phone be too annoying by subscribing to push notifications. Mm. You should not ever say yes when you're asked, do you want this app to send you push notifications. They can drain your battery. Um, and, uh... Uh, but, uh, but, uh, but, uh, the settings menu easily lets you turn off notifications on an app-by-app basis. I really don't like any of those. I know people who have their phone set so that anytime someone likes a Facebook post of theirs, they get a fucking notification. Yeah. That would drive me insane. I don't need to be interrupted that much. I don't even have my email push notifications on. I will check my email when I want to check it.
2: I feel like certain important things you need push notifications. My email, I have push notifications just in case. Well,
1: happen. you're as well. You should because it could be from me, and that's always important. Yeah,
2: super, <laughs> super important.
1: Uh, number eight, you're acting like your phone is cheap. The iPhone X costs $999, and even if you opt for a more budget-friendly model, you're laying down some serious scratch, so why would you leave it unprotected? This is my pet peeve of all millennials. Every millennial I know has a screen that is cracked in a thousand fucking places. Mm -hmm. Buy yourself a case and a tempered glass sticker. They're not expensive.
0: No, I mean, no, not compared to what it would cost you to replace the phone.
1: My case and my little glass sticker were five dollars each.
0: Oh, the the good sticker. The yep. Good, the, like the all right.
1: And and you know I have dropped this on the phone. I have thrown this across the room by accident yeah. at someone, and <laughs> it never cracks. My
2: sticker and, cost me twenty bucks. I feel upset. Yeah, my you case shouldn't cost me fifty.
1: You c- you can go on Amazon and type in what kind of phone you have, and just say screen protector, and you'll find one for less than
2: ten dollars every time. <sighs> so I'm gonna stop buying mine from AT and T then. Yeah. And that's why I get them.
1: And finally, you're not updating your phone. iOS updates can take quite a bit of time. Uh, however, there's not, there's no reason to completely avoid them. Um, 90% of phones are estimated to be running an out-of-date version of iOS. I don't see how that's possible. My phone goes crazy if I don't update it. It's yeah. like, you still haven't updated. Do you want to update? Update your phone. So I just it wears me down. Um, and that's it. Those yeah. are the nine things that you're doing wrong. Now you know. We've never done a tech segment before, and I found it kind of boring. <laughs> but it was an experiment. We'll see what the listeners say.
2: Maybe because it was Apple, that's why.
1: Oh, all right, JB, enough. Okay, here's a story that I find way more interesting. A gay porn star has been sentenced to five years in prison for selling $3.5 million worth of weed. No, oh. Adult star Chris Bynes was slapped with a 59-month prison sentence and also some penises. Uh, The 31-year-old Bynes, whose real name is Stephen Michael Sholly, has worked with Falcon Studios, Men.com, and Randy Blue. He was convicted of marijuana trafficking and money laundering last October and sentenced, along with four other people, last week. The courts found that from January 2014 to June 2017, the group, uh, he and these other people, conspired to sell 100 kilograms of weed in Florida. That's a lot of weed. Yeah. Because it's not very heavy. Uh, Bynes shipped the packages from California to Florida and then sold the marijuana in Florida with the help of others. The money was then laundered through bank accounts and mailed to addresses in California. Over $3.5 million in cash was laundered laundered over three and a half years. A couple of things surprised me about this. Uh, the the number one thing being that he's white, and white people rarely go to prison for selling weed. Yeah. That's something they use to, to get black people in prison. Um, but still do. It, still do. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Still do but also i don't know i don't i when i think of porn stars and drugs i don't think of weed
2: yeah i think of hardcore either. drugs yeah not, not not that that's something i get from my drug dealer from down the block like yeah i mean it, it's it's so easy to get weed
1: nowadays i almost feel like it's not as lucrative a business but apparently it still is in florida
0: do you know that i used to sell weed when i lived in philly
1: uh, I don't know if I remember that, but I'm not
0: terribly surprised. I'm I'm just really upset that I didn't make three and a half million dollars. I know, that.
1: right? But then again, if you did, you probably would have wound up in prison. That's five right. years. Five years. A long prison sentence for a nonviolent offense. Yeah. Uh, and again, that's something they do to black people all the time. But, yes. Uh, this white dude. I mean, what
2: kind of jail was he sent to was it like a blue collar jail because there are different types of prisons for the different types of crimes if he was said like because there are when, when black people we get caught we get sent to the jailhouse with the violent offenders yes was he sent to the jailhouse with violent offenders or with white collar criminals
1: it's a good question um and i don't know the answer to it but you I know like he looks like criminals. Criminals. this so yeah, i know hope...
2: he's going to jail with white collar criminals and not in the real jail cell so that
1: maybe or maybe uh, he's going to a, a, a you know, some serious lockup and he's going to get fucking ass raped every day. We'll see. Meanwhile, this is a really fucked up story out of Los Angeles. A 16-year-old boy has been arrested on suspicion of killing his Mm ex-boyfriend who was a football player. On Wednesday, April 18th, the body of 17-year-old Jeremy Sanchez was discovered stabbed to death near a riverbed in South El Monte, a community east of L.A. The 16-year-old classmate Mm -hmm of Sanchez uh, has been identified as being romantically involved with the victim. The suspect's name is not being released because he's a minor. Mm -hmm. It's believed that Sanchez broke up with the suspect and began dating a girl. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: He was reported missing by his father the night before his body was discovered, prompting a search effort. The police say this is something that was planned well. (laughs) A friend of Sanchez's told local news he'd previously been the victim of homophobic abuse at the hands of fellow classmates. She said quote he stopped wrestling and became a football athlete because of all the bullying. He might have been bisexual and got bullied because of that, so that made him quit sports. It's really like a tragic story, but also like pretty fucked up, yeah that a sixteen year old would kill his ex- boyfriend because he started dating a girl
2: yeah i i to me that man you can relate to this JJ. no it just doesn't make sense because like i dated straight guys who we stopped flinging around because they wanted to be with the girl like it was just like oh okay like it was a temporary thing i i, I guess just the mental status of people cuz to me i understood like you're not you're not in the same team as me but we're going to have fun though
1: yeah, but when you're 16, you know, sometimes things can seem so overwhelming. Yeah. It's just stabbing someone to death is I don't know so how you bring yourself violent to do it. Yeah. And like it's not an easy way to kill someone.
0: No. No.
1: Ugh, it's so awful, and it's just a sad story. Um, here's a bit of a lighter story out of England. A guy named Scott Purdy, a 23-year-old, claims that he became gay after his doctor prescribed him a painkiller called Pregabalin the worst name ever for a drug, Preg Pregbolin, uh, known by its Pfizer brand name as Lyrica. Here we go. Um, and he appeared on a British TV show a couple weeks ago to talk about this. Uh, he says he started taking the drug after an injury and immediately lost attraction to his girlfriend. When he went off the drug, his attraction to her came back. But he was in so much pain after he went off the drug that he started taking it again. And once again, lost his attraction to her, started feeling attracted uh, to men and basically decided, I'm just going to stay on this drug and be gay. But he's still convinced that he would never have been gay had it not been for this drug. So he was on a British talk show uh, alongside a doctor who was asked whether or not any painkiller could make someone gay. And here's how that went down.
3: Like when I posted on Facebook about a week and a half ago, two weeks, I posted saying that. I'm gay and I'm very happy, Uh, but I didn't say the reason why. And everyone was commenting on my status saying, wow, we didn't see that coming. That's a great shock because it's so out of character for me. Yeah. Okay, um, Ranch, a
0: very direct question Can a painkiller turn you gay? In very simple terms, I'm going to say no, but I know I'm going to be as pragmatic about this as I can be. First and foremost, I think it's great that you're happy. Yep. And I think that's yeah. the most important thing here. And how, whatever it takes for you to be happy is good for you. So there you go. All right.
1: I mean, if there's a pill that turns straight man gay, <laughs> I'm going to become the gay Bill Cosby.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna be dropping that shit in everyone's drink. I'm following you right after. It's okay. I don't blame you. There's so many fine straight men that I love to sleep with.
1: I'm just kidding. I would never do that. But it is uh, a crazy story. What the doctor said to him on the show is that one. The reason this drug works as an effective painkiller is it relaxes you. Okay. And in relaxing you, in being an anti-anxiety medication, it may have disinhibited him into embracing feelings that he that had always been there but sure. that he had blocked out. Sure. Um so he doesn't feel like he's gay he, he he doesn't feel like it could have made him gay but he feels like it could have allowed him to finally express his sure. gayness which if you think about it is really no different than making someone gay. <laughs> but he claims he was very happy fucking his girlfriend up until he started taking the lyrica. All
0: right, maybe he's bi.
1: You know, Lyrica is kind of a gay name for a drug, too. <laughs> it sounds like something a singer would takes, you know, when you, when you can't hit the high C you have to Lyrica. take Lyrica. Um, on that note, uh, these are some crazy-ass stories from the Associated Press that I wanted to do two weeks ago, um, but we ran out of time, and they're still great stories, and I'm going to do them now. And the first one is out of Florida. I have a feeling this is going to freak Jay out. A Florida python devoured a deer... That weighed four pounds more than the snake weighed. Um, nom, nom,
0: nom, nom, oh, nom, that's nom, actual nom, audio. Nom, nom. <laughs> <laughs> ah.
1: <laughs> Researchers studying invasive Burmese pythons came across something they thought they'd never seen. An 11 foot long python had consumed an entire deer. The wildlife biologists tracking the snakes stumbled upon the bloated snake in Collier Seminole State Park, and when they moved the creature, it began regurgitating a white-tailed <laughs> deer fawn. Oh, that's that's the part that's going to bother Jay. Jay's got a metaphilia. A metaphobia. A metaphobia. Excuse me. Metaphilia would be if you were into the probably vomit. yeah. Uh, the researcher said, "Quote: We were just sitting there trying to process that an animal this size could get its head around what turned out to be a deer." It's the largest python-to-prey weight they had ever seen. Burmese pythons can grow nearly 20 feet long, and they were brought to South Florida as pets in the late 1970s by some stupid pieces of shit. They were released into the wild and have become a problematic invasive species. I'll say, if you can eat a whole deer, you can eat a person. Yep, Certainly a child or a dog. It's terrifying. Uh, Meanwhile, have you ever been drug tested, Jay? Yes. I have two for a job. once. Me
0: too. For oh well, yeah, also for a job.
1: <laughs> and you know that sometimes, if if someone's on drugs and they have to be urine tested, they'll try to get someone else's urine, sure, uh, to use that instead. Well, an Ohio woman might want to ask some questions if she the next time she tries to borrow someone's urine to pass a drug test. Twenty-four-year-old Kiana Wallace was sentenced to eighteen months in prison on Monday in eastern Ohio's Belmont County after she submitted a borrowed urine sample that tested positive for drugs.
0: it sounds like a steep sentence for that.
1: Well, once again, she's probably a person of color. Yeah. She pleaded guilty earlier this month to attempting uh, to tamper with evidence. The judge called the failed urine swap bizarre, and told her he wouldn't allow her to make a mockery of the drug and alcohol testing system. Records show Wallace was sentenced to six months in jail, followed by probation in January 2017 for drug possession. Uh, basically, the moral of the story is if you're going to borrow someone else's piss, make sure they're not high.
2: Or doing anything. That's why you go to a straight edge. You gotta find yourself a straight edge person and be like, hey, can you pee in a cup for me?
1: See, JB knows how it works. Yeah. I don't know how you could even get away with it because when I did mine, um, they make you. Well, I guess they didn't like search me. I guess I could have had the urine on me. Keep it on you and then- oh, wait, your mic's
2: off. Okay, I'm sorry. So you can just keep it on you and then act like you're peeing when you just a bottle in your pocket or a small bottle. Teach you like. I'll
1: tell you what. My ex boyfriend Rob was uh, in the Navy. And he told me they the Navy takes the the military in general takes its drug tests very seriously. You might know or already know this, Jay. He said when you get drug tested in the Navy, there was a guy standing next to yep. you watching you pee absolutely to make sure that the piss came out of your dick. Yep. That's kinky. That's hot as fuck. Can you imagine <laughs> if that was your job to be like the the I, I don't pee think watcher? it's as
0: hot as you think it, it is. I mean, I don't <laughs> want to see
1: the pee, but I wanna see the all the navy dicks. Yeah, sure. All the
0: different penises, beautiful penises.
2: Come on.
1: Um, In Pennsylvania, a former TV weatherman legally changed his name to meteorologist Drew Anderson. In other words, his name was Drew Anderson and he was a meteorologist. So he changed his name to meteorologist Drew Anderson. And, you know, it would be like if Katie changed her name to producer Katie Castellano or Jay changed his name to Hooker Jay.
0: Um,
1: Anyway, he's now running for Congress. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, he's collecting signatures to get on the Republican primary ballot for a run against U.S. Representative Lloyd Smucker. Uh, meteorologist Drew Anderson says he's looking for a climate change in Washington. Here's a little clip of him.
3: Look at those blue skies right there, in front of bird in hand. You know, I thought this would be the perfect place
1: to be because it is spring after all, and the birds just right over here. They are already chirping, clearly a sign of what's to come. Something else that's coming your way in November will be my name, Meteorologist Drew Anderson, on the ballot. But I wanted you to be the first to know if you live in Lancaster County or in Southern York County, you'll see my name on the ballot with no political party attached to it. Shockingly, Meteorologist Drew Anderson is not openly gay. Oh. But my feeling is, he's a weatherman and that's his voice, so yeah. he is. But he's running as a Republican, so, so he is. He is. Yeah. But anyway, good luck to meteorologist Drew Anderson. I think it would be kind of hilarious if he got elected to Congress and they had to keep addressing him that way. Meteorologist Drew, Drew Anderson. <laughs> yeah. Isn't there? Uh, who's that? I want to say a basketball player. There's some professional athlete who has a fucked up name like that. Uh, Meta World Peace. Right? Oh. What is he, a football player? No one my here My gay know- brain does not allow that. Th- yeah, bas- he's a, he's a my basketball gay brain player. doesn't
2: know sports. Anything I'm sorry. It's sports, been confirmed.
1: Yeah. Um, so that's it. Last story I'm going to do before we bring in our fabulous guest is uh, in New York City, a postal worker hoarded more than 17,000 pieces of undelivered mail, telling investigators he was simply overwhelmed by the amount of mail he had to deliver. But Alexei Garmash told them he, quote, made sure to deliver the important mail. (laughs) He was charged last week in Brooklyn with delaying or detaining mail. He declined to comment as he left the federal courthouse. Federal officials say they arrested the 16-year employee after receiving a tip about a car owned by Garmash that contained 20 full mail bags. Authorities said they found 10,000 pieces of mail in his car. 6,000 pieces in his apartment and 1,000 in his work locker. Jesus. That's so infuriating, isn't it? Yeah. Because when I think about my mail, like I barely get mail nowadays. Yeah. But when I do, it's usually a check. And if I didn't get a check, I'd be so mad. He's
0: delivering the important mail.
1: Oh, he doesn't fucking know. <laughs> He's crazy. And speaking of crazy... <laughs> our guests uh, oh wait where's my uh i had written out a lovely intro for him and now it's gone
2: Just
1: uh okay our guest today is the theater critic for time out new york we are always happy when he makes time for us to be on the show and he is here to talk to us about the broadway season please give it up for adam feldman ah
3: Listen to that applause.
1: Yeah, where is the applause? <laughs> Wake up, JB. The crowd See, it goes oh, wild.
3: Thank you,
2: everyone.
1: Adam, thank mm-hmm. you. How'd you like that improvised introduction? That was
3: beautiful. That is maybe the greatest tribute I have ever received.
1: <laughs> I also grew a mustache in honor of your <laughs> appearance on the show. Thank you. Um, Adam, there are so many uh, new shows that hit Broadway this season, but before we talk about any of them, we need to uh, recognize the one that has received the most acclaimed, and it's this one. Oh shit, Jimmy. <laughs> it's a beautiful silence.
0: Yeah, it could be my fault. <laughs> Come on. Escape to Margarita but Bell. You know what? Uh, people can make fun of Escape to
3: Margaritaville, and indeed they have. But I, I will say this. Uh, I did not have a bad time at Escape to Margaritaville. That is not really? the worst show of the year. Nope. Uh, Escape to Margaritaville knows exactly what it is. It is a Jimmy Buffett musical. It delivers that. It makes no bones about it. Uh, it, it works in all the hits. Uh, it's completely unpretentious about what it is, and that for me i found that kind of relaxing it's a kick off your shoes kind of show you can you can hate it if you're if you're standing straight in your seat you know and you're thinking is this great art cuz it's not but uh, if you're there to have a good time and I, you know, I was willing to have a good time and I had a fine time. It's not it's not a great show. But how does it compare to
1: other jukebox musicals like Jersey Boys or Mamma Mia? Well,
3: it's uh, Jersey Boys and Mamma Mia are the two great success stories. Those two and, and arguably Rock of Ages uh, mm-hmm. are the ones that everyone turns to and everyone wants to be because they ran forever and they were, you know, uh, they, they worked as what they were. Most jukebox musicals are not that. Uh, beautiful, the Carol King musical also. Wonderful show. Yeah, also is doing well. But most of them are not. Most of them are are really pretty bad. And for example, there is another jukebox musical that just opened on Broadway called Summer, which is a... uh, Yes. Yes, which is the hits of Donna Summer, uh, shoehorned into a 100-minute, TV movie about Donna Summer. Uh, and
1: I thought that one was terrible. Now, you were not alone in that. I, I actually read all of the major reviews, including yours, and uh, everyone seems to hate it. Where did the Donna Summer musical go wrong? I think that the difference for me is that the Donna Summer musical does not have
3: a strong sense of itself the way that the even the Escape to Margaritaville musical does. Um, it It takes itself very seriously, and when something takes itself seriously, that makes it more uncomfortable when it fails, as opposed to Escape to Margaritaville, which is just trying to sort of loosen up and have a good time. So even if it's not a great work of art, it's harmless. It feels harmless. Whereas in the summer musical, you have all these issues with this sort of like uh, anti-gay discrimination and drug abuse and sexual abuse and uh, domestic abuse, and these things are shoehorned in in this uh, inconsequential way that does not do justice to their actual weight. And so that makes it a more uncomfortable experience for me. It makes me react much more negatively than I do to something like
1: Escape to Margaritaville, which, again, is a beach towel. Well, and one <laughs> of the problems I've I've heard about the summer musical is that disco is not a uh, a genre of music that lends itself well to storytelling because the words seem, tend to be rather pedestrian. Yeah, that,
3: that may be true, but then you can go around that the way that Jersey Boys did and the way that, to some extent, Beautiful does, Um, you can get around that by making it about the process of writing those songs. And Donna Summer did co-write a lot of these big songs. That's really barely mentioned in the show. That's a a huge accomplishment. These are some of the greatest pop hits of the past 40 years. And uh, there's only kind of a gestural discussion of that within the show itself. There's almost no... um, there's almost no discussion of process the way that there is in Jersey Boys and that there is in Beautiful. And when you're talking about songwriters, that stuff becomes the story. Right.
1: Um, Like, I loved those two, and I hated Mamma Mia!, Because Mamma Mia was just an absurd (laughs) made up story where they shoehorned in all these songs that had nothing really to do with the story. Whereas Beautiful and Jersey Boys, like you said, are about the the process of these artists creating these giant hits and what went on behind the scenes. Right. But they couldn't do that with Summer, I guess.
3: No, or or they could have and they didn't. Is a missed opportunity, and and, you know, and with summer, I don't want to beat up on. I keep on beating up on summer, although people do really. I happen to know I can track how many people read my
1: reviews, and the most popular review I've written this year is my review of summer. Well, I went through all of them from this season, and summer seems to be your worst review. It was most negative. My most
3: negative review, probably of a certainly of a musical, unless you count Home for the Holidays, which was a concert of. Uh, Christmas songs. Oh, right, with the American uh, Idol contestants. Right, and I disliked that more than I disliked Summer, but it's not really a musical. It was sort of a concert right. that happened to be in a Broadway show uh, theater. Um, I disliked some plays as much, I would say.
1: What was your least favorite play? This year, gosh, uh,
3: I guess of new plays, probably The
1: Parisian Woman. And that was with Uma Thurman. That was
3: with Ir- Uma Thurman, and uh, it's a, a good writer named Bo Williman, um, and... Uh, It's just it's one of those things where you know sometimes a Hollywood actor can come and do something on stage and they turn out to be terrific, right? You know, and that's the dream, and then sometimes you really see the absence of stage background and stage authority in their performance. Yeah. And Uma Thurman is is an actor that I've liked very much in some movies. You know, in the right role, she can be really effective. Um, she could she didn't know how to move on stage and how to how to command attention on stage, and it was. Compounded by the fact that this is one of those plays where everyone keeps talking about how fascinating this woman is, <laughs> right. you know, she uh, she's so charismatic, and everyone keeps describing her that way, and then uh, and then you have Uma sort of there, and it, she's sort of this this wet dress.
1: Speaking of plays, this season seems to be the the season of long assed plays. You've got uh, Harry, oh God, Harry yeah. Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, which is well, <laughs> not like a, Isn't that what it's the called? Cursed Child. Oh, I don't fucking know. <laughs> is there such a thing as Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's yeah, that's Stone? The first, that's the first. one. Oh, I don't. I've never read a Harry Potter book or seen a Harry Potter movie. Uh, but so so, what is it called again? Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. I actually really wanted it to be
3: the Cursed Child, <laughs> right? I think that, that would have be the British, better, yeah, and better rhythm, you know. Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, but no, it's, it's but a this is
1: a place. this is an, a very long play, yes. Well,
3: yeah, uh, it's actually in two parts, um, sort of like the seventh movie was. They it was so much plot that they had to split it into two movies, and they've done the same with this. Uh, each half. Is sold separately, and uh, each half is about two hours and forty-five minutes long. Oh, okay. Um, so it's not—it's not unbearable. I mean, Angels in America. Are they playing is, simultaneously? They're playing. They're playing in t- uh, tandem. So they're they're. You can have days where you can see both on weekends, uh, or you can split them up and see them separately on, on weekdays. And maybe on Wednesday. I'm not sure if they do a marathon on Wednesday, probably.
1: How did you feel about uh, this? Did you enjoy it? And can someone like me who doesn't know anything about Harry Potter possibly enjoy these plays?
3: Well, how I felt about it is I think it's fantastic. You know, if if you are a Harry Potter fan, you will really dig this show. It is. Uh, it was based on a short story that was written, co-written by J.K. Rowling. And uh, it, it definitely has the stamp of authority. It feels like a worthy sequel to the heptology of books. Um, and it... It's very much in the tradition of those things. It's not going to be great. You're not going to go to it for the quality of the dialogue. You know, right. It's perfectly functional. It's action movie kind of dialogue. Uh, but it moves along really quickly, and there's a lot of plot. And the set and the physical construction, the lighting and the costumes and the stage effects, the magic... Get a uh, little closer to the mic. They're, they're, the stage effects and the magic, all of that stuff, all the design elements are, are spectacular. Um, they're, in some cases, taking... Varieties of stage magic that have been around for many decades, but giving them a new high tech twist that is very exciting to watch. And so it, uh, just sort of on, a, on an entertainment basis, uh, it's extremely effective. And I would be surprised if it did not end up winning all of the design awards in
1: the Tonys this year and very possibly best play. And this takes place far in the future from the Harry Potter movies, right? In that it's the son of Harry right.
3: who's the lead. Well, yeah, it's actually very much an ensemble play. So you it takes place roughly 20 years after the conclusion of the final book. Actually, it picks up. There's an epilogue in the final book that is this time frame I where, they're, where they're in the future and they're at the train station and their kids are there. It picks up on that chapter. Um, So it's 20 years after, and uh, the central, there's two generations of characters. You get adult Harry and adult Hermione and adult Ron and all those people, and then you get the younger generation, and especially centrally, you get uh, Harry's middle child, Albus, uh, and you get Draco Malfoy's son,
1: Scorpius, oh, I'm so not seeing this. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, are you a Harry Potter fan?
0: Yeah, I am. Um, are you interested in seeing it? I, I've, I've already got tickets. Oh, you do? Yeah. yeah. Oh, good. I got
1: to say, I, I can't
3: say what it would be like to a non-Harry Potter person because I had read all the books when I saw it. I knew what they were talking about. And certainly there are moments in it that are very much kind of for the fans and, and, and people in the crowd go wild when certain favorite characters make reappearances and that kind of thing. And, but I think that even if, I really do believe that even if you didn't, know that much about the Harry stories, you would be swept up in the excitement of the
1: storytelling and of the stagecraft. Now, I will say another children's diversion that you mentioned the last time you were on the show, and I was very skeptical at the time, (laughs) was SpongeBob SquarePants, the musical, Mm -hmm. and I...
3: Loved it. SpongeBob is the best-kept secret in New York. I don't understand why everyone isn't more excited about this show. It is so. Is it not doing fun. well? It's doing fine, but it's not doing great. Uh, and I think that partly that's because people have this skepticism going in because they know it's based on this cartoon and they think it's going to be lame and commercial. And in fact, they've really bent over backwards to make it uh, its own thing and a special Broadway musical kind of adventure in its own terms. The design is gorgeous. Um, and even just if you want to go and see a, a beautiful panoply of of, of, of uh, costumes and and set pieces, you'll be happy just on that basis, Have but you it seen has it so much change? more than that.
0: Have I seen? Yeah, no.
1: It's so fun. I, I had never watched a single episode. I didn't even know that the best friend was a starfish. I didn't. <laughs> I wasn't getting any of the references. People are skeptical, but I but will say I, I thought it was delightful. Pretty much
3: every single person that I've spoken to who who has seen it says the same thing, which is I went in and I thought I wasn't going to like it, and then I turned out I had a big grin on my face yeah. the whole time. And I, you know, I, again, you know, it, this is not Gypsy. This is not Sweeney Todd. This is not Hamilton. It is a. It is an entertaining. Good time musical, but it is an entertaining
1: good time. Yes, uh, and I think everyone should go out and see it. <laughs> also, I I, I kind of want to fuck SpongeBob. I'm not gonna lie, he's, <laughs> he's like very fit, short little muscly yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thing fair. with a big butt. Um, speaking of which, we got to talk about Angels in America, right. which also another long show, and that one really is long. fucking long show. But I think you know, I haven't seen this production, but I've seen past productions, and to me, it's always worth it. I think this one is
3: very much worth it. It is a time commitment because each it is again in two halves, and each of the halves in this case is almost four hours long three three forty, you know, three forty five with two intermissions each. Uh, And you, and you see them on all the all on the same day again. You can see them all on the same day as I did, which ends up being with with the four intermissions and the dinner break ends up being a, like a you know a ten hour experience. Um, or you can split them up over two nights. I, I prefer to see it in one day, like you're binge watching. Yes, me know. too. And uh, and again, as with Harry, because it's so good and because there's so much happening, it does not feel long. There's you know the writing is so rich and there are so many different parallel plots to track that it doesn't. You don't feel stuck there. You don't. You're not aware of the time. And you know theatrical right. time works in a weird way. So it can it can if you're having a good time, if it's doing what it's supposed to do then then even 10 hours just flies by like nothing. Whereas I've been at plays that are 40 minutes long that felt like, you
1: know, <laughs> 150 <Yeah>. years. <laughs> a- Adam, help me out. <laughs> I saw an off-Broadway version of Angels just a few years Signature, ago. Yeah. with I want to say with Adam
3: Driver. Adam Driver was the replacement cast, the second cast, because uh, the Signature Theater did a, a, a quite small-scale revival of Angels a few years ago. And uh, it was popular enough that they extended it, but some of the original cast couldn't continue into the extension period. And so uh, in that case, Zach Quinto had been playing Lewis. Yes. And then he left and and Adam Driver took over that part. And I thought Adam Driver was actually very good in it. I thought he was great. And I, and I had... thought Michael Urie was very good as Prior. He yes. took over from Christian I Warhol. loved I liked that production. I liked both of them better than than the original
1: cast of that revival i thought the re- the replacement cast was better and that's unusual so how about this current cast I, I was a little skeptical when i heard that nathan lane would be playing roy Cohn because it just seems like such a miscast but apparently no it works, it works very
3: well you know uh, nathan lane is a creature of the stage he knows what he's doing up there he knows how to work an audience and that is that's that's what the play needs from roy Cohn. it needs a big juicy um or larger than life, in some way performance because a lot of the other stuff is so heavy, uh, you need this big theatrical force that's pushing it along in the form of Roy Cohn. And Ron Liebman certainly did that in the original production, which I which I saw. Uh, and, I thought uh, Al
1: Pacino was just mesmerizing. And Nathan
3: Lane is very good. And I gotta say, like, what was surprising to me is how effective Nathan Lane is in the second half in Perestroika. Uh, when he uh, is very ill and in the hospital, and uh, I thought that his his scenes, his pain and his dying scenes are uh, really harrowing. Um, I thought he did very well in this. Uh, you know, it's an it's an English production, and they've brought over n- the the, the ori- nearly all of the original London cast,
1: including Andrew Garfield. Including
3: Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield is kind of British American. He was born here and then raised there, uh, so he's somewhere in between. And Nathan Lane, of course, is American. The rest of the cast. Uh Is English, except one new actor, Lee Pace, that they have for the American production. Uh, in some cases, I was very skeptical about that aspect of it, because uh, I didn't understand why you would bring over a British cast to, to do an extremely American, contemporary American yeah. play. Uh, and I can't imagine a time when there would be a major British revival of a recent British play with an American cast in line. Yeah, that would like be I, weird. I, but, you know, I think that for various reasons they chose to bring it over, and, and and in many cases I was very pleasantly surprised with the results. I think that James McAvoy, who plays Lewis, is terrific. I think that Denise Galway, who plays uh, Harper, is terrific. And the um, American accents are convincing. The American accents are largely good, those two especially. Um, and uh, the guy who plays Belize also has a good American accent. The women are, are a little uh, spottier. They both have very strong moments in their performance, well, but the accents are a little spot. Women spotty.
1: do spot sometimes. <laughs>
3: I find, I find I find that aspect a little distracting, and I would have I would have. I mean, there are so many American actors that would love to play those parts that I kind of wish that they had had an opportunity to do so. But I, I can't complain about the performances that I saw, and and it is one of those things, Angels, that uh, although it does work very nicely uh, in smaller productions like at the Signature, I think there is something magical about seeing it in a full scale Broadway production. It's an epic show; it kind of needs that scale to really. Work, I think. I'm dying to see it. Uh, so, yeah, I, I strongly recommend that. Go. And um, the one that I really think I mean, it's, it's hard to get tickets, but the one that I keep telling everyone to go see is Three Tall Women.
1: Oh, right. With, with Edward uh, Albee's Three Tall Women. It is Laurie Metcalf, Laurie Metcalf and Glenda
3: Jackson. The fabulous, the Glenda, formidable. Who's, who's apparently
1: a terrible interviewer.
3: <laughs> Just a difficult interview. Uh, look that up online, folks. There's a very funny interview in the LA Times with Charles McNulty. Um, but She's uh, She is a force of something on stage. She
1: is amazing. Going back to musicals, there are two rather grand revivals that just opened. I have not seen either one of them and would very much like to go. Hint, hint. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first is Carousel, uh, the famed uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein classic. And the second is My Fair Lady... Starring Lauren Ambrose of Six Feet Under fame. Tell us about this. Yes. Uh,
3: Well, you know, it hasn't been a great season for new plays or new musicals. There haven't been that many of them. But it has been a quite good season for revivals. There have only been three Broadway musical revivals this year, but all three have been very good. Uh, Once on this island was in the fall. Loved it. uh, And now we have Carousel and My Fair Lady. And they're good in different ways. You know, My Fair Lady and Carousel both have their own sort of uh, challenges that they bring with them because they were written in uh in the 50s and the 40s respectively and so you know and and they have troubled gender politics uh especially carousel i think um yeah with
1: like the whole wife beating well subplot
3: right it's not even a subplot it's kind of the main plot of carousel yeah um and so julie uh, falls in love with billy and he's this brute and he mistreats her and he uh, hits her and uh and that, no not to, i mean it are there spoilers at this point for Carousel? I don't, I, don't, I mean, Oh no, I, I don't think so. I think it, once it becomes part of the American <laughs> canon. Which... Yeah. So the trick is, you know, and uh, the, the show takes a kind of forgiving attitude towards that. It's not that it, it thinks that it's okay. It specifically does not. It's a, it's considered in the context of the play, it's considered a grave moral failing on right. Billy's part. but uh, but it has a sort of uh it has a gracious um, deathbed, deathbed, conversion kind of feel at the end where where uh, where the, you can kind of forgive you're supposed to kind of forgive Billy right uh, and we're I think modern audiences are a little less comfy with that they've cut some of the lines in carousel um, some of the lines that strike us as particularly problematic um, but they but they, the show is the show and I think that what they've tried to do to comp to compensate for this difficulty is they Jack O'Brien the director and the production, have really gone for for beauty and aesthetics and uh, old-school Broadway celebration. And so you have a big grand sound, you have a beautiful set and costumes, uh, you have gorgeous choreography. The original was Agnes DeMille, and now it's this guy Justin Peck from... Uh, yes, you know, the It Boy. Right, he's a, he's a big ballet It Boy, and, uh, and the ballet is very serious. You know, they've got one of the... M- one of the lead roles uh, is cast with a with a with a ballet dancer principal and one of the lead roles vocally is cast with Renée Fleming the opera star wow and so they really go for that highbrow uh, you know, the dancing is real dancing. The singing is real singing, um, and uh, and so it's beautiful. It goes for that, and it, I don't. I didn't find it as uh, sort of wrenching as it can be dramatically, but it is certainly a very beautiful
1: experience. I was in Carousel when I was fourteen. I was Enoch Snow Junior. in a community <laughs> theater production, and my memory of the show is that it's rather boring. Well, it can get boring, and they've trimmed some of it.
3: You know, they 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 trimmed some of the the least memorable music in the second act, and I don't mind that. Some some of the the real old school show queens are up in arms about that, but I, I, that doesn't bother me. Uh, My Fair Lady, they have done a beautiful job with too, and Lauren Ambrose. I know people know her from, um, six, feet from under. six Feet Under, and it, we, we, you know, and she sang a little on it, but on but they do I think people will be very surprised at how strong her. Uh, sort of legit theater voices. She is a legit theater actress, and I got to see her a few years ago as Juliet in Romeo and Juliet in the park, and she was fan-freaking-tastic. Dying to see Juliet. it. She's a real actor, and she uh, is a real singer, and it's a beautiful production. And again, difficulty, potentially, especially with the ending of My Fair Lady, where it seems like we're supposed to be rooting for for Higgins and Eliza to get back together, despite the fact that he's been monstrous to her throughout yes. the play. Um and so they, 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 they have to deal with that and they do come up with what I think is a quite clever, very ambiguous staging for that last scene of the play where you as an audience, I think, are invited to make your own decision about
1: what you want to believe. And I, well, Hopefully and it's, someone it's will bring me to that show so I can <laughs> see for myself. Adam, in the time remaining, we're going to play Ask Me No Questions. <laughs> <laughs> Ask Me No Questions. Oh my God, Ask I don't questions. know what this is. Yeah. I'm scared now. What is the greatest musical of all time? Uh, gypsy. What's the worst show you've ever seen? Oh my god, there's so many. I can't tell you. I've been seeing shows professionally for twenty years. Like I don't I can't even dredge it up. Honestly? Honestly. Which person in your life hawks you the most for free tickets? Like bugs me the most for yeah. free tickets? Uh my boyfriend, but that's his job. You yeah, know, like, I would uh, think yeah. he would get
3: first player. Yeah, yeah,
1: uh, and he and justly so. Who was the best Mama Rose? Ethel, Angela, Tyne, Bet, Bernadette, Patty, or Amelda? Uh, for me it's Patty. Oh, me too.
3: Yeah. I totally agree. I think it's the it's the it's the the best mix of the the good things that everyone brings to it. Do Jews
1: control the media?
3: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't. Obviously, we don't. Uh, obviously, we don't. It would be nice if we did.
1: I mean, I would like it because I would <laughs> get paid more, be doing more than a um, podcast right now.
3: Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, no. Uh, that but, wasn't a serious question. <laughs> no, but you know, look, a lot of people. A lot of people think it's true, uh, and you know, there there certainly are a lot of Jewish people drawn to. You know, drawn to journalism and stuff like that. So it's probably more than Jews control like the coal mining industry. Well,
1: if people are interested, it actually comes from the the early days of Hollywood, Jews created the entertainment well, sure, industry sure. Out, out of nothing. There's nothing
3: there. And have always, and, and have been a, a, a big force in theater also. Right. And, uh, and a lot of that stuff, and banking, a lot of that stuff comes out of being excluded yes. from other professions. So they had to go into these disreputable things. You know, Christians weren't allowed to lend money. so And Jews weren't allowed to be in the guilds. Right. So the Jews ended up being the people who loaned money. And that's so, voila, you know, Jews become big forces in the banking industry. I mean, they said they're historical... They're, Discrimination ends up redounding in weird ways. Historically. Yeah, who will win this season of RuPaul's Drag Race? Uh, who do I think will win, or who yes. do I think should? Win? Well, both. Uh, I am rooting for Monet or Miss Cracker.
1: Oh, interesting. Not Aquaria. No, because Aquaria is very much a fan Aquaria favorite. Aquaria looks great. I agree. I don't she's think a there's bit of a bitch. She's a bitch, right? And I don't think she's a
3: bitch. She's twenty-one, but I think that she doesn't know what she is yet. I think she's real cold. Where. I, I like the smart ones, and the smart ones for me this season are Monet and Ms. crack Yeah. Those are the smartest. The only problem with Monet is she doesn't really look great in drag most of the time. No, the, no, the quality of the looks are, isn't great. Um, but she is fast. She's funny. She lip syncs like nobody's business. shes I mean, that's that's her secret weapon, because even though she's been on the bottom twice, she has torn it up yeah. in those two. And so as long as she can keep pulling those out, she'll be fine. And name a show that, y- that you hated that other critics loved. Uh... Oh, there's, there's a bunch of those. Sorry, I didn't. I didn't. I wish I had wish had time. Well, to that's prepare, sort of the beauty
1: please. of "Ask Me No Questions." You're supposed to be caught off guard. Uh,
3: there, there have been a lot of them. I can't. Um, other critics loved. I don't know if they loved this, but of the ones that are playing now, yeah. I'll say uh, that the two shows that I dislike the most now that are playing on Broadway that have been playing for a reasonable amount of time is "School of Rock" and "A Bronx Tale." I think both of those could go tomorrow, and I would not miss them.
1: I haven't seen either, but A Bronx Tale looks terrible.
3: It's not terrible, it's just nothing. And it's sort of one of these sort kind of nostalgic it's nostalgic for thugism. I don't like it. It's 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 mafia nostalgic.
1: I want to ask you a couple things uh before the show ends. First of all, Bet Midler. Yeah. Coming back to Hello Dolly. I'm wondering uh, if that's going to piss off all the people who paid top dollar to see her in her, quote unquote, final performances in that show. Well, you know,
3: how many final tours has Bette Midler been on or share or any of them? Uh, that's sort of the business. I, the surprise for me is not that Bette Midler's coming back to Hello, Dolly. The surprise is that they're closing Hello, Dolly uh, with her. She's going to close it Why out. Why are they closing it? Um, you know, it's a good question. I think that. It's the flip side of of giving it such a gorgeous and lavish production, which the the producers did, Scott Rudin and the other producers, really gave this a beautiful, full production. But that's very expensive. There's a big orchestra, there's a big cast, it's expensive to run. And even though they're making quite a lot and they're selling quite well, I I imagine their margins are small. uh, And uh, I don't know that they've recouped yet. My, My expectation is that they think that by bringing back for one last month and David Hyde Pierce and Gavin Creel that they can have a big rush of money, um, make it over the finish line in terms of recouping the costs of the production and then close it at a nice little tidy moment and not have to deal with continuing to replace the cast and keeping on getting people to come and making it into some Chicago thing. Right. And finally Mean Girls the musical. Should we see it or not see yeah, it? Yeah, I'd say see it. Um, it's a lot of fun. It's it's you know Tina Fey did the adaptation of her own movie. Uh, it's full of clever bits and for me the the biggest draw is the cast. The there's there's a whole generation of rising, super talented young women, especially in that show, and you'll, you, they're giving hilarious performances.
1: Adam Feldman, always a pleasure to have you on the ask. People Thank can you for follow you me. at FeldmanAdam on Twitter and read your reviews at slash New York. Next week, we will have a brand new Adam Sank show. My co host will be the fabulous James Angelo. Please tune in and have a great week, bitches.